0: Once again, to the Perimeter Church podcast, Anna Marie Cox of the Daily Beast recently came out as a Christian. As Democrat, as Steve Brown is Republican, we can all relate as she says, One of the recurring stumbling blocks in my journey is my inability to accept that I am completely whole and loved by God without doing anything lead teacher Randy Pope starts the new series, The Ticket, Imputed Righteousness, with this message entitled, Two Opposing Options, Three Related Gifts, which covers Romans chapter 3, verses 12 through 25. Thank you for joining us today.
1: You know, scripture refers to itself as sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, it would be my opinion, at least through the observations of my spiritual pilgrimage through the years, that, that probably there has been no portion of Scripture that has cut the great giants of our faith any more than the book of Romans. There's something about the book of Romans. If you take Luther, which I'll quote from him in a few minutes, he says it was the book of Romans that grabbed his heart. You think about people like John Wesley such a great impact on this country. And he says it was the book of Romans. John Bunyan, the great author of Pilgrim's Progress, he goes back, he says, it's the book of Romans. There's something about Romans where God uses it in a very unique and special way. I know this in my own experience. I was a young student, Christian student. I was at a conference where a noted Christian leader was speaking. And afterwards I had the opportunity to grab his ear just a minute and ask him a question. I said, what would it take for me to become a strong believer in the faith? I'm young in the faith. I want to know what should I do? And this man looked at me and he said, master the book of Romans. Read it, study it, reread it, study it again. He gave me a plan. He said, here's what you should do. Read a little bit every day and then study it and read a little bit, study it, just keep doing that until you go through the book of Romans and you keep doing that and see what happens in your life. I've made an observation as a pastor through the years, and that is, I think that more Christians than not today, more Christians today are saying, I want something that is very simple, palatable, easy to understand, I want it to be given to me inspirationally, I want to feel good about what I hear, I do want it to be from God's Word, and then I'm going to love the taste of what I get. Now, there are many, many good protein meals that have good taste to them, but not all of them do. There are certain things in Scripture that you kind of have to wrestle with and you have to struggle, and you hear it and it doesn't feel comfortable. But I'm telling you, it's those things that often grip the heart of man so deeply that it conforms us more into the image of our Savior Jesus. There are people today, as I'll conclude with an emphasis on this, how easy it is for people to say, oh, you know what, I just have, I became a Christian, this is what it means. They have no clue what it means they become a Christian. And in fact, I'm not sure you really could without the depth of the teaching of the book of Romans. I'm hoping that you as a church will fall in love with the book of Romans. I've had a commitment from the day I began preaching this this church, nearly 40 years ago, I said every year, Lord willing, a little bit of Romans, one through eight, a little bit of Romans, one through eight, you'll see why through chapter eight, a lot of technical theological data, it will be a bit of a bumpy ride as we go through Romans year to year, But I'll tell you what, it's going to be a thrilling ride. I hope you're excited about getting into the book of Romans. Now, here's what we're going to do. Let me give a quick review of where we were in our last series. Our last series, a year or so ago, was in chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and it went through chapter 3, verse 20. That's considered the first section of the book of Romans. Now, it's an interesting uh, text in these three chapters. It actually addresses this important question. We all ask it. How is it that God can allow good people to perish? How can that happen? How many of us have asked that question? How can God allow good people to perish? Now, that very first verse of the section, which is the 18th verse of chapter 1, it begins with some pretty strong questions comments. It says, but the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And he goes on to develop this theological treatise that's just incredible to explain the condition of man's heart being so desperately wicked, in fact, dead in its trespasses and sins. Well, we won't go back over that, but it's interesting that we come to the next section, which we'll be looking at over these next weeks, and it begins in the third chapter, verse 21, takes us through chapter 5, and it addresses this question. How is it that God could allow sinful man not to perish? Do you know, frankly, I think that's the bigger question of the faith. I think it's the biggest question. Many of you have heard me use the illustration about the golf analogy. In golf, you know this, uh, and I've used this before, so I don't want to belabor it, but but the reality is that there is a grip, the way you hold your club, there is a posture that you keep your body in as you swing, and there's an alignment, how you align up to your target. And, And a great, great, great golfer will always tell you, they'll always tell you the things you want to work on are not your swing, it's your grip, posture, and alignment. And that if you have those three down, then you will eventually become a good golfer if you know nothing else about the golf swing. However, the reverse, if you do not have good grip, posture, alignment, you will never, ever, ever be a good golfer. Well, I've always said it's that grip, posture, alignment of the faith that's so critically important. Your grip is your view of yourself. Do you realize that's Romans 1 through 3? It's all about understanding the condition of your own life, your heart. Then the second portion gets into the, the, the idea about God, and, and that's what I call your posture. You've got to have the right posture, and all of a sudden in the book of Romans 3 through 5, you see this incredible description of all that God is and does for us in order for us to become his children. In fact, really, it's through the chapter 8 that you hear more about what God does for us. You've got to put those two together. And I'll tell you this, Christian, please believe this. If you've got a faulty understanding of yourself and think, you know, I'm a pretty good person. There's some good that indwells in me, naturally, of me. I am a good person. Not relative to other people, but I am good in essence within. Let me tell you, you'll never understand your faith. You'll never appreciate the love of your God. Something will always be fractured. In fact, it will lead to a life of performance because you will always believe in the depth of your heart that God did a lot for you, but he didn't do everything because you used your goodness that was left in you after the fall. Oh yeah, I'm not perfect. But after the fall, i got a little goodness left in me, and I'll use my little goodness, and I'll create my own little faith, and I'll create my own little repentance, and I'll bring it to God, and look what I've done that other people never did. And then you get into a book like Romans, and it begins to teach you, oh, by the way, did you know that you didn't create your own faith? It didn't come from your own goodness? What? No, no, no. It's a gift given by me. Really? But my repentance, no, 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 no. Your repentance, it was a gift. You could have never known it. Were it not a regenerative work that I've done in your heart, it all begins with me. When something happens to the heart, it gets humbled. The soul grows hungry to know that love of God more and more and more. In light of that, we want to dig in now what is it that he's going to tell us in this book that's so important? i am been naming the series The Ticket, and I name it that because what is our ticket to a healthy and right relationship with God? It's something that is called his manifested righteousness. I want you to hear that term, manifested righteousness. It'll come right out of this text. I'd like to give you a quote from Luther. This is what Luther says. He said, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. I want you all all to think of those words, the righteousness of God. This is going to be the critical issue and essence of the series, the righteousness of God, because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby, through grace and sheer mercy, He justifies by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. It was studying the book of Romans. That he became a follower. So for Paul to help us understand this, what he's going to do is he's going to give us in the text that we look at today, what I'm going to call two opposing options and three related gifts. You have your bulletin insert, you'll see the outline for it. My thesis statement, then I'll pray and let's dig into it. Here's the thesis of this portion of the text this week and next week. Because there are no good people, God, as a demonstration of his love, provides a means of hope for sinful man. Here's that hope. The imputing, I'll introduce that word, the imputing, placing within, the imputing of his righteousness, that is putting his righteousness in us. He does this by means of justification, redemption, redemption. And a tough word will explain propitiation. I want you to pray with me, would you? Our Father in heaven, as we briefly dig into this important text that lay in front of us, I pray God open our minds and our hearts. May this manifested or imputed righteousness that we learn about, may it grab our hearts even as it grabbed Luther. And as a result of that, may we through these weeks, and even this week, be overwhelmed with what you have done for us. May those of us that have yet to experience these three great gifts and the one overarching understanding of this manifested righteousness, may it become crystal clear on this day even as it did for Luther. And we ask this in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's first look at the what we'll call two opposing options. The first option is that that we're going to call the law. We'll put that up. Option number one, the law. And then we'll read verse 21, which explains this. This is how it reads. But now, apart from the law, key words, apart from. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God, there's that term that Luther didn't understand. He was thinking about God's righteousness and how he uses his righteousness to bring judgment on the unrighteous. No, no, no. The righteousness of God has been manifested. He has taken that righteousness and he's manifested. We'll look at that in a minute. Being witnessed by the law, and the prophets now these words apart from the law this is what most non-christians who think they're christians have never comprehended they still believe it is to some degree at least about what i do for god that brings to me my salvation or at least brings to me a greater salvation It's what I do for me. It's what I do for God. Everything's about what I do. As it comes into the spiritual realm, it's what I do for God in my own life, what I do for me. And we get so consumed in that that we cannot quite get it that, no, 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 it is apart from the law. Now, the word law here is used to refer to the Mosaic law. But then he comes back and he says, the law and the prophets And by the way, when he adds prophets, he is probably including the poetic books as well. It's his way of saying, look, acceptance by God can't be obtained by any rules that are obeyed. You take the whole of God's word, do your very, very, very truly your very best at obeying everything in God's word, and it will not help you at all. In fact, hear this, Christian. Hear this seeker: Do you realize that it is our good works that often are the things that we most need to repent of? We think of all the bad things, people. You better repent of that. that was bad what you did. In the heart of God, he sees all this good that we're doing for the wrong motive, and he says, "You better repent of the good things you've been doing. To merit my favor, it doesn't work that way. Now, option number two, he contrasts it now with option number two, which is this manifested righteousness. And we might add the word through faith in Jesus. He's going to talk about this manifested righteousness, and he'll talk about the means by which it comes by means of faith in one person, Jesus Christ. So verses 22 and 23 read like this Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now I call this the ticket and not a ticket. You hear that? I know we've got a lot of young people of the faith or people that are just exploring the faith that come to church here week in and week out. And there's something in us that says, you know, I, I think this is perhaps the best way to God. But I do believe there have got to be many ways to God. Because we can't resolve in our mind, well, what about people who never hear of Jesus Christ? What about people that, that make their own God out of the little bit of understanding that they have? And that's why there is a Romans 1-3 through 3 that we've already gone through. But he's going to say, no, it, it's through one person. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not A ticket, it is the ticket. I love the text of Acts 4.12. It reads like this. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And so why only one ticket? And here's the issue. Our text says it. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this is going to be a critical portion of the text. We've all heard that verse, probably all of us. All is saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fall short of the glory of God, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is he saying there? The idea of falling short is to have need of. We fall short, meaning we have to get this thing called glory. All fall short of what? The glory of God. What is glory? Glory is renown. It's splendor. It can be referred to as satisfaction. It's something that God is saying is critically, critically important to us, this thing called glory. Here is the key to understanding this whole section in Romans the glory that is stripped from us in the fall, when we sin, in the person of Adam, which we'll get to in chapter 5. Hey, why is it that just because Adam sinned, I get the rap? Doesn't seem fair to me. We'll get there. But this whole idea of the glory that's been stripped from us, how do we get the glory back? And the answer is, that which is the glory is the righteousness of Christ. Do you hear that? The glory that is stripped from us that we are needing is righteousness. See, I can be good. I can go out and do good things, be kind, give money, do all kinds of things. But what I can't do is find righteousness. And he says, that's what you've got to get. And that's what you get when God places his son's righteousness in us. We are indwelt by Christ. We often call it that. It is his righteousness that is manifested or imputed to us. Many of you have heard me tell the story of glory. It's in a little book called The Answer that I've written. And the basic story is that every single person, and hear this seeker, every single person who comes into this world after Adam, though designed with glory, meaning that's the way Adam came into this world with splendor, majesty, everything necessary for satisfaction has now fallen from glory. And once fallen, stripped from that glory, we're in a search for glory. And we're looking for it everywhere we go. This explains to you, seeker, why you can say, you know what, I I just find myself wanting something all the time. I've got to have a new toy. I've got to have a new relationship. I've got to have a new fix. And I get it and it satisfies, but oh so briefly, and then I'm looking for something else. And I get it and I think maybe that'll satisfy and nothing seems to satisfy. The answer is what's found in what we call discovery of glory, and that's finding Christ. We're really finding his righteousness. That is our glory. It's discovery of glory. And that's what it says in Colossians one twenty-seven when it says, And Jesus is the hope of, you tell me, glory. It's the hope of glory. John 17, puts it this way, the glory you, this is Jesus speaking, the glory you Father have given to me, I have given to them. Do You know what he's referring to? The manifested righteousness of Christ. So I'm going to put it in a, uh, in a picture for you. It's one that many of you have seen me do before, but I'm going to just quickly do it just so you all have an understanding of this. This is the best way I can make it simple. Here is God... We all want to be in good relationship with God, meaning we want Him to like us, especially when we die. So there's only two plans that have ever been devised to try to get that. One is called performance. And I'll put the word perform here. I draw a line to God because it's what we do for Him. We call that the religion of doing. It creates a righteousness within us. It really does. And so I'll put a dash and R for righteousness It creates a righteousness, but one that's created by what we do or don't do, and therefore it's called a self. I'll put an S for self-righteousness. And so here it is. What do we do for him? Here we go, here we go, here we go. And God is so offended by that because it's the story of the husband who's giving his wife all kind of treasures and presents and all kind of nice words simply to get something back in return and when she discovers that then she is absolutely disgusted with all of those deeds that at first appeared so kind and good and so forth well there's a different way and that is called grace this is what God does for us it's unmerited favor and so now we take the era from God to us because it's his grace to us not what we do for him And therefore, it's not the relationship of do, it's the relationship of done. It's what he has done for us. And so it creates, I'll put a righteousness, dash R, a righteousness within us. But it is Christ's manifested righteousness. Now we understand the text. This is what Paul is describing right here. Now, many people stop there and say, oh, that's where you walk down an aisle, you pray a prayer, and... Okay, I'm all right now, right? I've prayed my prayer, I've done my... No, 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 no. Kind of, but not quite. It may be a prayer, but we've got to put a word down here that really explains it. It's the word love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, it is his love for us that compels us to obey or to perform. And so as I always say, the big question that all of us have to deal with And the book of Romans pushes us to ask this question, where does my religious faith, religious practice, whatever you want to call it, where does it start? Does it start right here and just go up to here? And that's many, many people that I meet. And I say, tell me of your, your, you know, religion and your, your background, your spiritual formation. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, Really? And then three months, two months, a month later, they go, you know what? I was never a Christian. I just thought I was. What they were saying is, I do have something going on in my religious life and experience. And so I don't think I'm void of something very important. Then they realize, oh, 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 it starts here and it goes all the way around. That's the real faith. That's what Paul is trying to to get across as he talks about these two opposing options, okay? Now, with that, let's close it out with the three related gifts. Quickly touch on them. These are three terms every one of us need for our mental theological dictionary, all right? So let's let's put these three in there. Number one is justification. Verse 24, let me read, uh, first of all, let me go to uh, read 24 and 25a. Let me read these. He goes on to say, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now, let me try to explain these three words. It's not that they're three totally different things. There's much overlap. It's three different ways of saying somewhat of the same thing. In fact, what he's going to do is he's going to use Three different languages. He's going to use the language uh, first of the court. He's going to use then the language of the marketplace. And then he's going to last use the language of the religious people. That is the temple religion, the Jewish people. He's just getting at this three different ways. But I hope every one of us, as we go through this, says, wow, look what God has done for me you're not a Christian, I hope you're saying, wow, look what I could have from God. Here they are. Number one, justification. It began by saying, being justified as a gift by God's grace. The word justified, the idea is being pardoned. I heard it put this way, though it's not technically fully accurate, just as if I'd never sinned. Well, it's just as if I had sinned, but have been pardoned from that sin. Left in a condition as if I had never sinned. It's to be declared righteous. It's a once and for all act. If you look at the Greek word there, the tense of it says once and done. You don't keep getting justified. No, you get justified, declared righteous at one time. That's the imputed Righteousness of Christ. This is the court term that would deal when the death sentence is removed, that person would be said to have been justified. Let me read a definition out of the Westminster Confession of Faith that we greatly appreciate here at this church, the the Westminster Confession. It says, justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Now, let me just ask you this. Do you understand what that means? That means I don't care how wicked, evil, and bad you have been. I don't care what kind of stuff you're bringing across the threshold of new faith and habits and attitudes. I don't care what it is that are repulsive to God. Now, because of this manifested righteousness that he places within his own, he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, I see you all the same. I see you as I see my own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully righteous. Oh, well, I can't be because, you know, I've got, no, 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 no. I know your sin. And I hate that sin because of what it does to you but I see you as fully righteous. Boy, let that grab your heart. Well, you mean God is always sick? You mean he loves me the way he loves his own son? Yes. And Christians don't get that. Because it's really, I decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I decided to follow Jesus let me tell you, there was a whole lot more that went into it. You were justified to begin with. Justified as a gift and by his grace, a merited favor. Number two, the word redemption. In verse 24, it says, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So now he's just going to use the market term. And this really is a term that was used in the slave market, interestingly enough. Redemption by means of purchase. It means that we had to be bought that was a price. Let me use a definition that's been given of redemption. It's a good one. It goes like this. Redemption is deliverance from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin by means of an atonement or ransom. Now, folks, there are gifts, rewards in heaven. We understand that. But in terms of how we're viewed by God and how we're forgiven, It's all the same. So now having explained these two first words, justification and redemption, I want you to listen to the words of John Bunyan. You remember that name? Wrote Pilgrim's Progress. This is his story about justification and redemption. He says, I was walking up and down in the house as a man in a most woeful state. That word of God took hold of my heart ye are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But oh, what a turn it made upon me. Now was I as one awakened out of some troublesome sleep and dream and listening to this heavenly sentence. It was as if I had heard it thus expounded to me, sinner, thou thinkest, That thou, because of thy sins and infirmities, I cannot save thy soul, but behold, my son is by me, and upon him I look, and not on thee, and will deal with thee according as I am pleased with him. comes from his book, Grace Abounding. Is that not great news, Christian? We have been justified, we have been redeemed, and now... The third term is propitiation. It reads like this in verse 25, whom, referring to Jesus, God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now, the religious people in the temple, they would understand this word. We don't. Uh, This idea of propitiation means to be atoned for. In other words, someone pays for the price. It's another way of redemption, very similar concept, but it's the word propitiation pardon or to liberate. So it's the same word, this is interesting, it's the same exact word found in the book of Hebrews, chapter nine, verse five, of mercy seat. In the past series, I referred to the mercy seat. You remember, the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, this mercy seat was a box and it had within it the Ark of the Covenant. In that particular, the Ark of the Covenant was was the box and it had in it the law of God. It was covered in gold, and it had two cherubim, kind of uh, angel-like figures, representing the guarding of that, the law of God. And God, looking above, would see down and see the law in that box. And he would see all people in light of the law, and that is having broken the law. And then what he would do would have the high priest, one time a year, On the day of, here's the word, atonement, propitiation. On the day of atonement, the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies. By the way, he had to have a a rope tied to his leg with bells on him to find out was he dead or not. They hear the bells, they know he's moving. No bells, dead. He did something wrong in the presence of God in the wrong way. Uh Uh-oh, they could drag him out because no one else was allowed to go in. That's how they drag his corpse bring it out. This is how important obedience to the law of God is. And so you see God looking down on his law. He sees all people the same, and that is in a sinful condition. And then the high priest would take blood from a lamb or an animal of some sort and would sprinkle the blood on the top of that mercy seat, the lid of that box. And with that, the atonement of the people's sins would be received. Just like that. It's interesting. It says, in his blood. In his blood. You see, the ransom price was set by God. Why? We don't understand. But he set it as blood. And he, in Leviticus 17, it says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And then in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, it says, without the shedding of blood... There's no forgiveness of sins. So as I'm coming to a conclusion here, just look at these three verses. Number one, let's look at Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Secondly, Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, listen to this, have been brought near, how? Not by what you and I did. By the blood of Christ. And thirdly, Hebrews 9, verse 12. And not through the blood of goats and calves. Oh, I thought that's what it was. I thought he came and sprinkled some blood of a calf or a goat or something. No, no. But through his own blood. You see, that was pointing to the one Christ who would come to the cross as the Lamb of God. And it says he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption great text. See, blood turns a place of judgment into a place of mercy. My kids were young. If there was one game they loved to play with their dad, it was Monster. I'm a really good monster. And I could put a look on and I could just do this real hard. Just look at him. And they get scared, I just because I'd look at them that way. And then I'd add a growl, like, Arr! and they'd freak out. My grandkids are learning this now. <laughs> and I would teach them a good lesson. It's the lesson of propitiation. I'd say, you know what? The monster's going to tickle you till you're in pain. You will scream for mercy. But only one thing is going to stop the monster you better kiss me. And they'd give me a kiss. And all of a sudden, that look of meanness would turn into a smile and a hug. And I'd say, gotcha. That's the story of God. He would be as a monster to any outside the faith. But because of the kiss of our Savior Jesus, he turns into the most loving father a person could ever have you get it please get away from this oh i i decided to follow jesus no turning back don't be as the galatians in galatians 3:1 oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you have you begun by faith and now are you turning to works are you back to the idea it's what i do for you god get rid of it folks i'm telling you it will take you down the performance trap will kill you and just go to the love of christ And see that manifested righteousness. Put your hope in Jesus, what He's done. I tell you what, that's all you need as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you for your great love. We'd like to repent of our own good deeds now that we have used, thinking we're going to merit some kind of favor and love and hug from you. And oh God, we're sorry. We've missed the kiss of our Savior, Jesus. So now, God, would you please allow us to experience the kiss? May we see your love. May we see it through the work of Christ on Calvary's cross, and may we always know it's your manifested righteousness. It is all apart from the law. God, we turn this whole series to you and ask that as the weeks that follow, though a lot of protein and sometimes not a lot of feel-good stuff, May we trust that you're going to use your word to cut deeply into our hearts and cause us to fall more in love with you. Lord, we believe your truth. For you say, those who are forgiven little, love little. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Forgive us for not knowing more of how we're forgiven.
0: And we thank you in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.